We have two talks left in our series on the gospel family tree. Today, I want to talk a little bit about um, obedience. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I imagine some of us are. There's a bit of a rebellious streak inside of you at some point, either now or earlier in your life, where you just didn't want to obey. It's fitting that my parents are here today. (sighs) Normally, I'm looking at them through the camera, but here they are sitting in front of me, and I'm talking about obedience. Again, I apologize for all the things. Um, Children are karma, I'll tell you that much. The interesting thing about obedience is we struggle, I think we struggle to obey, whether it's an authority figure of some sort, you know, a parent, a teacher. As soon as I get into large pastors' gatherings with other pastors, I immediately want to, like, be rowdy. Like, I just, something inside of me is like, I just don't want to adhere to what people are telling me to do. Peter, Peter knows we feel the same way, I think, sometimes at district conferences. We're like, I just, I don't know that I want to fit into this. And it just, just kind of comes out of me. Um, the interesting thing about obedience is, is typically, I, I think, that if we're disobeying an authority figure of some sort, it's because we feel like, mm, but I'm going to find life in doing it my way. Like, I know, I know you're telling me it's, it should be done this way, but I'm going to find it doing it this way, my way, right? There's this idea of, like, something, there's an offer of some sort that we think is better, so I'm going to do it that way. Or, or often, as is the case, like it happened to me this week, I just disobeyed because I wasn't listening. Jess asked me to do something, and she must have asked me a couple times, and I just started doing something totally different, and she's like, did you... Load the dishwasher. That's what I asked you to do. And I was like, oh, I didn't, like, I just, I was doing something completely different because I wasn't listening, so I wasn't obeying what she was asking me to do. Well, today, as we continue on through this uh, talk, or this series on Gospel Family Tree, we're going to look at the life of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, and how his listening, as it were, to, to God leads to obedience, leads to fulfillment, leads to life for him and for Jesus, for Mary, and I would argue for us down the line. Joseph, not much is said of Joseph beyond the first couple chapters of the Gospels. He comes and goes pretty quickly. We don't know what happens to him. He's silent. We don't know where he goes. We don't see him past Jesus being 12 years old. Just kind of disappears. But what I'm going to look at today is this idea that Joseph listens and obeys and finds life. And the first thing I see, though, in his life is that, to me, he appears to be um, slow to anger, slow to react. You want to pick up with me in Matthew 1. We're continuing on through this, this long lineage of Jesus, which lands us on Joseph today and then Jesus at Christmas Eve. Let's just get into this story a little bit. It says, after the exile, which we talked about last week, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel, 
Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel, who we talked about last week. He's the one that built the temple, tried to rebuild the second temple. Zerubbabel fathered Abiud. Abiud fathered Eliakim. Eliakim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Achim. Achim fathered Eliud. Eliud fathered Eleazar. Eleazar fathered Methan. Methan fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and David, uh, from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Christ, 14 generations. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Joseph probably doesn't know this part yet, okay? So it's just kind of included. Matthew wants us to know. It was discovered discovered that she uh, was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, dot, 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 right? Put a little ellipsis at the end of that because that sentence goes on. So you have this lineage that runs all the way down to Joseph, who's the husband of Mary, the, the, the mother of Jesus, 14 generations. Some people think that that's the, the consonants of David's name added up. DVD would equal the number 14. Maybe Matthew's doing something there to tell us that Jesus is like he's really the new David. Matthew has this affinity for numbers. Landing us on Joseph discovering that his fiance is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, discovers that she's pregnant, but it says that in his righteousness, he decides to not disgrace her publicly, but to divorce her quietly. So just, let's get into this a little bit. Joseph was righteous. Now, we hear that term righteous, and we think like goody-two-shoes. We think someone who's self-righteous. Well, look at me. I'm holier than thou. I am righteous. I do everything, I do everything properly. I'm good. I'm great. I, you know, really, what's wrapped up in that word is like covenant faithfulness. Someone, someone who was right before God and right before others, who did right by them, who... who who was in a right relationship with God that led to leading to, to shalom with other people. It's all, the, the word righteousness is huge in the Greek and connected to this idea of covenant faithfulness. So Joseph is this, this righteous man. And if you go on and read in Luke 2, Luke's kind of story about the birth of Jesus and the early years of Jesus, in Luke 2 you see that, that Joseph is also a man of integrity who follows the law of God. He follows the Mosaic law. He does what God prescribed for good Jewish people to do according to his law. If, I mean, if you remember this story, you know that, that he obeys the law of the land when he goes up to Bethlehem for the census in an oppressive government. No one wanted to do that. He didn't want to make that trek with his, now at that point, pregnant fiance. He didn't want to do that, but he is a man of integrity, and he does what he is asked to do, and he goes up for the census. After Jesus is born, he circumcises him on the eighth day as he's supposed to. After the 40 days of purification that's required for Mary, uh, 
again, by the law. He adheres to this. Then they go up to the temple to dedicate him, which was part of the law. And there they offer a sacrifice of two turtle doves, which means that they were probably poor because that would have been like what the poor person's offering was. They didn't offer like a sheep or something more expensive. They're offering these cheap birds, which is how God allowed for the poor to be able to take part in the sacrificial system. After that, we see when Jesus gets lost at the temple. You remember this? It was, they went up for a pilgrimage to the temple, which was part of the law. So you see again and again, you see Joseph leading his family and adhering to the Mosaic law. He's a person of integrity. He's obeying the law. Yet, let's remember, let's put ourselves into this situation. You're righteous. You're a person of integrity. You're doing everything that's right by obeying the law. And you find out the person you are betrothed to, that's actually a better translation of that word, not engaged like we think of, like, oh, like, look, we got engaged and we're going to get married. Some, like, no, like, betrothed was like, it was a big deal. Families came together. It was typically a year long. There was a lot of buildup to it. And to break it would require divorce in a very public way. Like, it was a serious commitment. And so Joseph is betrothed to Mary and he finds out, somehow discovers that she is pregnant. Sinclair Ferguson, in the the Advent Reader that I'm using this year, says, how did he find out? Did he notice something? Was he astute enough to pick up on the fact that she was sick for a while? Did he hear a rumor? Did she hear far enough advance that she told somebody who told him that she... Like, how did he find out? She went and visited Elizabeth for a little while, came back, whoa! Like, what in the world... And so here you have this righteous guy who's clearly, as we talked about earlier, this mystic of a wife who is clearly, uh, she, is, she is holy. She's a righteous person. She's a godly person. And we find, well, she's not, she's not who I thought she was. Pregnant? What the? How did? Can you imagine? And he knows it's not his. So what in the world? See, I don't know what you feel like when someone disappoints you, when things aren't going like you, you thought they were going to. I have a tendency to like internally freak out and want to abandon that person. Like that's my flesh. Because I, like, I am by nature, again, if you've studied Enneagram at all, I'm in Enneagram 1, I think I do everything right, therefore everyone else should do everything right, and if they don't do something right, I'm going to abandon them. Like that's my, I'm just being honest with you what my flesh has to war against what it has to fight against to actually love and be committed to people the way that Jesus has been committed to me. And so I don't know what I would have done in this situation, but I would have had a, a large freakout session, I'm sure, of some sort. What we see Joseph do is despite being righteous, despite being holy, contemplates this, considers this, tries to work through what he should do. And at the very least, before he hears anything from God, he decides, I'm going to put her away quietly. I'm going to divorce her quietly so as to not publicly disgrace her. He's not going to shame her. Her story's her story. I'm sure that was part of his thinking, but, but I'm not, I'm not going to, I know her. I'm not going to do that to her. Friends, can I just tell you that that's what gospel grace looks like? And as a church, I hope we're exhibiting it. 
that when someone is caught in a struggle, when someone finds themselves in a circumstance that they do not wish to be in, when someone is sinning, we don't publicly shame them. That's not the gospel. We move in to protect them, to exhort, to encourage towards righteousness through Jesus. But we don't shame, we don't embarrass. And here we see in Joseph this beautiful picture of being slow to anger and not using his righteousness to then shame this woman. There's grace in that. And despite being a law-abiding Jewish man, he does not call for the law to be followed out in this circumstance. Do you know that? See, Old Testament law would have said that a woman who's been caught in adultery and pregnant like this should have been stoned. He doesn't even bring that up. He says, I'm just going to, we're just divorced clearly. She's with somebody else. Like, mm -mm. I'm just going to divorce her quietly. But he has mercy. Do you see it? He has mercy rather than saying, bring her out here. We're going to get to the bottom of this. She deserves death for this. No, no, he just protects her, says, I don't want to shame her. Just, let's just move on. Slow to anger. The better translation in uh, then, and what does it say there? I think it says he, he decided to, but after he had, uh, whatever, after he had considered these things. The word there really is like after he had planned, like he had made this plan to do this thing, to divorce her. He's planning on it. But it says that he's contemplating these things. He's, he's considering these things. He's wrestling through these things. Do you notice he doesn't just react? Again, how much do we have a tendency to do that? Something happens that bothers us, boom, we just explode with a reaction. And here you have Joseph just, he's considering, he's considering, he's considering, he's thinking through. He makes this plan, I'm not going to shame her. He takes time to contemplate, to consider these things, which I would argue is wisdom. He's slow to react. He's slow to anger. And while he's taking time to consider rather than reacting, God speaks to him. Friends, there's a healthy pattern here for us to observe. There's a truth here for us. Take time. We don't need to react. Consider. Pray. Wait. Allow God to speak. Peace. Be still. <laughs> waiting for the speaking voice of God, which is what happens to him. He decides to take a nap, and look what happens from there. All right, pick up with me in verse 20 again of Matthew 1. Now, I'm going to read this whole chunk, okay? We're going all the way to the end of chapter 2. So, because you just, I was like, I'm gonna, nah, whatever, we're just going to do it. Settle in, Okay. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Number one, all right? This is the first time. An angel appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is from Isaiah. 
which is translated, God is with us. It's my favorite name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. I mean, did he move the date up? I, I don't know, but he followed the command. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. So he's still honoring her. And he named him Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When king, uh, Some people think this is a comet, or perhaps it's an alignment of two different planets at that time would have indicated a, a king had been born and where. When, the king Herod, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So these guys come in, they make a big scene looking for a new king. So he, and they went to the natural place, right? They went to where the existing king was, saying a new king must have been born in this household. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of all the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream, so they get warned in a dream, and being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, number two, right? Saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I call, uh, tell, tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. You see here you kind of have this reversal of the earlier Israel story. You got kind of a Moses influence here of, of a king who's going to try to kill the babies. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Two dreams, two fulfillments of prophecy. Then Herod, when he realized uh, that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who, who were two years old and under in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. So this horrible atrocity happens. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, number three, saying, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel because there, uh, those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that uh, Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream 
Number four, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that Jesus, he, would be called a Nazarene. Yet another fulfillment of prophecy here. Joseph's silent, but man, he gets talked to, doesn't he? Angel of the Lord shows up four times in a dream to speak to him. What's fascinating to me about Joseph is his quickness to obey. Slow to anger, processes, takes time, doesn't want to shame Mary, but man, he's quick to obey. Now, maybe we think, maybe we think, if God showed up and talked to me, I'd be quick to obey too. I don't know. I don't know. Just happened in a dream? Should I believe that? Joseph knows it's God and he's quick to obey. And what we see happen in his story is that Joseph is self-sacrificing. He's willing to give up his reputation and take on this unwed mother and marry her, saying, she's mine. I'm hers. Her story's now my story. It's grace, self-sacrificing love. I mean, the angel shows up in a dream. He's like, hey, you know, like, What's been, what's been conceived of hers? It's the Holy Spirit. I'm sure he didn't wake up like, oh, cool. You know what I mean? Like, again, this would have been, had serious ramifications for his life to say, let me take on this woman who is pregnant with someone else's baby. Supposedly an angel told me that this happened as the Holy Spirit's baby. I don't know. And I'll take on the financial responsibility of that right from the get-go. And like, my reputation is going to be wrecked. Like, that story had to have followed them forever. And he's self-sacrificing, and he takes on Mary, perhaps, like I said, even moving up the wedding to do so quickly. And then he's just obedient, obedient, obedient. Rembrandt has a picture, uh, a picture, a piece of artwork that I want to show us. If I remember correctly, it's called Joseph's Dream. When I saw this, it just really struck me. Because, what, I mean, what do you notice in the picture, right? I'm assuming this is Mary. She's, you see way up above her is, is this light. Mary's in the light. I'm assuming that's Jesus laying next to her already. So perhaps this is the second visit of the angel? And where's Joseph? In the dark. <laughs> the angel showing up saying, hey, what, you know, what's happening with her? I don't know. I don't know what order he painted this in, but there's this sense of, to me, he just looks exhausted. Typical dad, he's asleep, she's awake. That was funny. Come on. You know it's true. I just want to leave that up there for us to just, just let it sit up there for a little while. So this angel shows up to, to speak to him, and four different times there's this, this dream sequence in which God speaks to Joseph, and three times it says at the end of it, he got up. He's a man of action. He gets up and goes, or he left. In the last, like in one of them, he like he left that place. Three times he obeys. Fourth time he obeys. Get up, go. Just immediately 
obedient to what God is calling him to do. And did you notice that each time, I believe Matthew wants us to see this, it leads to some sort of prophetic fulfillment. Joseph's listening leads to obedience, which leads to this fulfillment that he could have never put together. He wasn't thinking about like fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy at this point. But God, in his mysterious divine ways, brings this storyline together where all these threads start to come together to make this tapestry of God bringing about a fulfilled prophecy. What a privilege in our obedience that we might be participating in something like that without us even knowing it. We're trying to listen to God, trying to obey what the speaking God is telling us through the word, through another person, through a dream. And then it leads to some sort of fulfillment of God weaving together this story to do something incredible. What a privilege. But it's not without cost, is it? Allowing Jesus, welcoming Jesus into your life is dangerous. It is costly. It's course-altering. If it's not, you might not be following him. It could cost you your family. Now, I don't mean, I mean, we live in a culture that we're not in danger physically, at least not yet, I guess. But maybe your family blackballs you. Oh, you're one of those people now. Okay. Oh, you're a Christian. Must mean you're a Trump-supporting Republican. You're out. Don't come to Christmas. Might cost you your job if you're not willing to cheat, lie, steal, to get ahead for the company. When you're like, I don't know. Like, I don't know that God wants me to do that. Well, then you're out. Socially, saying no to things that everyone else around you is saying yes to. We feel that. Feel that regularly. How come you don't do uh, We don't feel like we should. Don't feel like we can. Don't feel like we want to. Don't feel like it leads to the best life for the gospel in our family. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. We're like weirdos. This is what it means to be a subversive Christ-following person. But see, allowing Jesus into your life is course-altering. It's going to cost something. At the very least, your pride. Your repentance to say, okay, not my way, your way. And if it isn't, well, then, like I said, you might not be following him. So Joseph is willing to take on this dangerous thing, of saying, yeah, I will welcome this Jesus into my life, and I will live for him. And yet, what we see in Joseph is the man is basically silent. We don't hear his words. We don't know his story. Except for maybe he names Jesus, it says. Maybe you can count that as him speaking, which is an act of obedience again. Didn't name him Joseph. Didn't name him after his grandfather. Takes a completely random name from outside the family line, which he shouldn't have done. And he says... 
We're going to name him Jesus. That probably cost him something at Thanksgiving. Like, you know. All right, I know they didn't have Thanksgiving. Okay, I get it. I'm just making a, okay. Passover. It cost him something at Passover. Why'd you name him that? Ah, angel in a dream. I don't know. Okay. But he's, he's all but silent. And he names him Jesus. And all of this, I would argue, is to bring about the offspring of God. All of this is to bring about Jesus, to protect Jesus. Joseph needs to be with Jesus so that Jesus can be with us. Protect him to go into Egypt in this new kind of exodus. He's a good father. He's a good shepherd. I assume that God picked him because of some of what he saw in him. And his listening leads to his obedience, which leads to this fulfillment of being part of this wonderful story that we get to talk about 2,000 years later. I can't wait to meet him and be like, what was going on in your head? How did you do that? How scared were you? How long did you live in Egypt? What was that like? What a wild story. What a privilege to be a part of, to be part of God's fulfillment of prophetic things. And all of it, to me, points us to Jesus, who really is the, the better shepherd, the better one that's always slow to anger, because I'm sure Joseph had his moments, the one who's always obedient. As we move towards communion, I want to read from Isaiah 53. Just listen to this. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. We didn't esteem him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, our disobedience, crushed because of our iniquities, Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went away like she went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb slit led to slaughter. And like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, 
He will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the, uh, the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels." Friends, years before he was born, this is our Jesus being talked about. Who obeys the law perfectly, just like his father, but a lot more. <laughs> obeys the law, the Mosaic law, perfectly, and yet does not use his righteousness to shame us. Remember the woman who's caught in adultery he says, who's here to condemn you? And she says, uh, no one, sir. And he says, neither do I condemn you. He's a self-sacrificing, suffering servant who does not open his mouth and, like Joseph, is silent, silently goes to the cross for our transgressions, for our iniquities, for our disobedience. So obedient to the Father, the Scriptures tell us he was obedient even to death on a cross which fulfills the law and the prophets, he says. He listens to his father. He obeys, and it leads to the fulfillment of all of the prophecies, all of the scriptures. And why does he do it, friends? To bring about and to protect the offspring of God, you and me. To make us children of God. We have been given the right to be adopted as children of God if we just believe. What a gift of a good father of a good shepherd. Friends, that's what Christmas is truly about, is the coming of our Savior who is willing to give up his life for ours, protected by a willing, unwed mother, protected and raised by this guy Joseph who we never even hear from, so that you and me could be brought into the family of God. Only God could weave that tapestry together. I'm grateful for Joseph's listening heart and his obedience. And I'm grateful for Jesus this morning, whose life, whose body, whose blood was given for us so that we could become children of God. So a couple questions to wrap up. How do you take time to consider? How do you take time to contemplate? Do you take time to consider? Take time to contemplate. How do you process shocking news? Disappointing news, frustrating news. How do you process biblical commands to obey? See, a lot of times we walk around and say, man, if God would just speak to me, if God would just speak to me, can I argue that in some ways, he has. You want to know what to do next? Start here. Do it in prayer. Ask some friends in community. And go from there. Take some time. How do you process receiving words from God? Do you receive words from God? 
Because I would argue he still speaks. Are you willing to allow Christ to enter your life in such a way that he alters the course of it? Have you recognized that we all, like sheep, have gone astray? Typically daily. But Jesus silently suffered on our behalf and now advocates permanently to the Father on our behalf, saying, they're mine, they're mine, they're mine. We're going to take communion together one last time here in the Y. What a sweet moment. And I want us to participate in it as an act of listening to the new covenant of Jesus in his blood that he purchased freedom for us. What is, what is Jesus speaking to you today in your participation of this? Maybe you think about that while you're sitting or standing in line. What's Jesus speaking to you today in this new covenant? I want us to participate as people who are taking on, again, aligning with a new and dangerous identity, a course-altering identity, willingly taking on Jesus again. And we do this as an act of obedience. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Whenever you do it, implying we keep doing it. Taking part as an act of obedience, saying, I'm in. I'm in. I want more of you, Jesus. Speak to me. Speak to me. Your servant is listening. And I'll do my best to obey.